You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. This is the Spectral Skull Session. And I am your host, Dane. Talk of planet-dominated AI, government-sponsored inquiry into UFOs, and a possible World War III on the horizon for this summer. Global news of the weird, now very much like a science fiction film, with a semi-coherent script cobbled together by ChatGPT itself. And before we get started today, shout out to the St. Louis chapter of the Hash House Harriers. If you're joining us from the Hash House Harriers Club in St. Louis, Missouri... You found the right podcast. So let's get started. Our first news concerning UFOs. The director of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Sean M. Kirkpatrick, gave an open testimony regarding UFO or UAP sightings to the Senate Armed Services Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Capabilities. Now, Kirkpatrick is in charge of that Pentagon office that's responsible for collecting and organizing all the military UFO reports. They're also supposed to analyze any, quote, adverse physiological effects that these things might be having on military servicemen. And the law demands that they develop a science plan that outlines how they are going to reproduce flight characteristics of the UFOs they are observing. Well, Kirkpatrick's Wednesday testimony was largely lambasted by the press as underwhelming, with some CNN commentators offering their online audiences free Starbucks gift cards if they could just stay through the episode. Kirkpatrick indicated that his office has collected hundreds of reports of UFO encounters among American service people. He said that roughly half of those reports have already been explained as natural phenomena, drones, balloons, or sky debris. And he said, quote, Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics, end quote. Pretty disappointing, right? But that was his summary of his own research. The details of his presentation suggested something quite different. Kirkpatrick told Congress there are certain characteristics of the UFOs that the Pentagon is struggling to explain. He said, of the unexplained UFO sightings, 52% involve objects that can be characterized as round, spheres, or orbs. And of those unexplained sightings, documented between 1996 and 2023, they found certain common features. Not just round or atypical orientation. I think that's what they mean by orbs, right? But also, size, they tend to be around 1 to 4 meters. They tend to be white, silver, or translucent. They tend to be flying at an altitude of 10 
to 30,000 feet, so just below the flight at which commercial aircraft fly, moving anywhere from stationary, so not moving at all, to Mach 2. They give off no visible thermal exhaust. They do appear on radar often intermittently, especially in the X-band between 8 and 12 gigahertz. And they have a radar signature from 1 to 3 gigahertz. I'm sorry, and they have a radio signature from 1 to 3 gigahertz, which I interpreted as um, indicating that they're transmitting radio signals. The objects are also visible on different kinds of infrared scopes, shortwave and medium wave infrared alike. All of this information was made available in a handout Kirkpatrick brought along to the briefing and displayed to Congress as a slide. I was not able to decipher whether these uh, characteristic features he's talking about, do they refer to it to that specific type of UAP that he said is 52% of the unexplained sightings are? So he said, right, so is it these orbs that show up on radar and fly just below the height of a regular commercial aircraft? Or is this just like an average or like median or mode, modal characteristic um, across all sightings? So I couldn't really figure out where exactly he was on that question. But I thought it was interesting that the most common kind of UFO they're encountering is more of an orb, not a disc, rod, cigar, or saucer shape. After all, glowing orbs are one of the most common and terrifying kinds of paranormal phenomena reported in the United States. Kirkpatrick also produced a map that showed where UFOs are being seen, the densest area of UFO detection, Southeast Asia. Next is the Middle East, especially the Strait of Hormuz area, followed by the east coast of the United States. There seem to be three distinct hotspots near the west coast of the United States, but the map was too small for me to pin those spots to specific regions, so I couldn't figure out exactly what those three subregions are, but they're sort of around California and the American Southwest. And then I also saw notable areas of increased sightings in Northeastern Europe. It looks like somewhere around the Baltics, Poland, or Belarus. Again, I can't really say precisely where. And a small hotspot south of the African nations of the Ivory Coast and Ghana. So these UFOs really get around. They do not discriminate, but they go everywhere. Not so much South America. Well, Kirkpatrick warned Congress there is selection bias in his map. After all, American servicemen can only see UFOs in places where American servicemen go. So we can infer they're probably not seeing these UFOs over Belarus, since the American military is not welcome in Belarus. And, you know, if UFOs are buzzing, say, Brazil, well, we don't have a lot of soldiers down in Brazil, so we probably won't have a lot of reports from there. Kirkpatrick indicated no evidence any of these UFOs are extraterrestrial. But again, I thought that was completely mitigated by his own handout. So looking at this handout, one of the lines said, common speeds for UFOs go from stationary to Mach 2. Then the next line on the handout said they are commonly not seen to have any thermal propulsion. Well, put that together, that is pretty abnormal to see something moving Mach 2, but it doesn't have any evidence of thermal propulsion. Normal planes moving faster than sound will leave a trail in their wake. Um, another mitigating factor in the Pentagon's claim that there's nothing interesting to see here was Kirkpatrick explaining that per the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022, he's required to stop investigating whenever there's compelling reason to believe that the UFO in question is actually a foreign adversarial craft. So he has to turn those 
cases over to some other branch of the Pentagon. He's not authorized to investigate. So this is huge. If you look at his briefings, his slides, he never tells the public what percentage of reports have been classified as foreign adversaries. He says that only about half of the sightings have been explained. So could it be that maybe 30% of them are mysterious craft? We think are from China or we think are from Russia, but we just don't know. And so we've handed that over to some other part of the Pentagon to look into it. Um, I think it would be very tempting if you're the Pentagon to classify any UFO that demonstrates technical performance capabilities beyond what the U.S. is capable of as a foreign adversary. I would just say, well, you know, it's moving Mach 5 and it can zigzag at Mach 5. So that's probably a Chinese breakthrough craft and, you know, label that classified and ship that over to the NSA to investigate. My sense was that the really good cases are all going to be under threat of becoming foreign adversary cases. So even if that's unreasonable, right? Um, it might be unreasonable if you see something come down from outer space at Mach 5 and then decelerate to a standstill in under a second and then pass, then it travels underwater without slowing down, you know, but that's probably what they're going to do. They'll probably say that is just a foreign adversary. So uh, I think that explains a lot of why we're not getting more good stories out of this Kirkpatrick guy. Now, he showed us two examples of UFO cases. He showed some videos, and one video was one of these orbs, and he said, we don't have an explanation for this orb. It's, it's a case of the orbs. They don't know what they are. They said they're not demonstrating advanced technological performance, but they are a mystery. And then he showed another example of a drone, an American drone, apparently being buzzed by a craft but he said that case has been explained. Turned out it was just an airplane flying in the distance. Lastly, Kirkpatrick weighed in on that science plan he's responsible for developing. And he said he can't, he can't really make progress on the science plan right now. And the reason for that is that he can't rule out various possibilities from the most mundane atmospheric phenomena to the most extreme theory of extraterrestrial origin. So the media really seized on this soundbite extreme, extreme theory of extraterrestrial origin, um, as the American media always does, missing the point entirely, because what he was saying there is, I'm responsible for figuring out how we're going to reproduce our own UFOs. We're going to make UFOs at some point. We need to figure out broadly how we're going to start doing the research to do that. And he said, well, I don't know what they are. They could be aliens. And so if I don't know what they are, how could I reproduce them? How could I even start to tell people how to reproduce them? So that completely belies him saying that there's no evidence that they're aliens because he's saying I can't rule out that they're aliens. Maybe they are, right? So the evidence that he has is certainly consistent with them being aliens. What I think is going on here is that Kirkpatrick is burying the story in the middle of his presentation, and it's because, you know, he doesn't want to get labeled as a wacky UFO guy. But what does Kirkpatrick really think? We don't know for sure, but the current owner of Skinwalker Ranch, Brandon Fugel, he told the New York Post recently that some years ago he was at a Pentagon briefing. It was a Pentagon briefing on UFOs, and he was there to talk about Skinwalker Ranch. It was chaired by none other than Sean Kirkpatrick. He told the Post's Stephen Greenstreet, Kirkpatrick reassured him if there was a section on his presentation 
where he needed to convince the audience that they should take UFOs seriously, he might as well just skip that part because his audience was already convinced that UFOs needed to be taken seriously. And Brandon Fugel, he was able to produce a photograph of this alleged meeting showing he had indeed at least been in the room with Sean Kirkpatrick. So I think that Sean Kirkpatrick, much more interested in the extraterrestrial hypothesis than he's letting on. He is lying low in order to avoid making a fool of himself because this is obviously one of those topics, a hot topic. He dangled the sound bites, right? The sound bites he dangled were all nothing to see here sound bites, but they were inconsistent with the spirit of what I heard him saying about what he's doing, his job. Um, so I thought the presentation was actually really quite good. I really enjoyed that he produced um, videos and he had a handout, which says a lot to me, right? If you bring a handout, that's how I know you are prepared for your presentation. So that's the UFO situation. Let me switch gears a little bit now to update you on a breaking story coming out of Eastern Europe. The Russo-Ukrainian war is once again heating up with leaked intelligence reports indicating Ukraine plans to launch a major spring offensive campaign as early as the end of April. Leaked reports coming out of the Pentagon, as well as other sources like the Institute for the Study of War, a U.S.-based think tank, suggest Ukraine will have up to 12 additional brigades. That's 60 to 80,000 fresh troops, mostly armor troops, tanks, armored vehicles, along with their support teams, basically a second mini-army that was trained and equipped outside of the country through the joint efforts of the United States, United Kingdom, and Poland all over the winter break, right? So we had a little bit of a winter break in this war. We thought the Russians were going to launch a winter offensive, and they never really got around to it. Well, there's a reason for that that I'm about to get to. Um, at the moment, as we're waiting for the Ukrainians to launch this great offensive, uh, on the eastern front, so in the Donbass region, where the Russians have really struggled, the Ukrainians are really starting to lose the high ground here. So um, there are two different locations where they're now caught in a traditional cauldron. That's a technical term for a battlefield situation where the enemy has you surrounded on three sides. Um, and so this is happening in Avdivka and Bakhmut. In both areas, um, there are cities that the Ukrainians are basically surrounded in. And it's reached the point now, especially in the city of Bakhmut, where they may actually be cut off. So reports from Ukrainians are saying, this was actually from weeks ago when the situation was better, that uh, if you would send 10 guys to Bakhmut as reinforcements, only eight of them would get there because the Russians would pick two of them off with, um, you know, they have rockets, they have artillery, they have snipers along the roads now, and they have uh, bombardment. They have the ability to bombard now with planes that just kicked in about two weeks ago. The city of Bakhmut was only built to accommodate about 70,000, 80,000 humans, most of which are believed to have fled at this point. The sort of consensus view, 30, up to 30,000 Allied fighters inside Bakhmut right now, even though it's a city that was only built to hold about 70,000, 80,000 people, and 60 to 80% of it's already controlled by the Russians. I've seen evidence that the Georgian, Georgians have a legion inside Bakhmut, possibly trapped along with Free International Belarusians, Belarusian Brigade. Of course, there are Muslim fighters from Chechnya on both sides, some fighting for Ukraine, some fighting for Russia. So this Bakhmut is really a multicultural melee, a celebration of the ethnic and religious diversity of Eastern Europe. But every party has to come to an end 
The Russians are desperate for the guests to go home. That's why they've been dropping heavy bombs all over Bakhmut. Uh, and this is a surprise because the Russian Air Force had largely stayed out of this war. And so uh, I don't have a good understanding of why they suddenly started flying their strategic bombers over the front lines and dropping heavy bombs. It could be that they only recently were able to uh, upgrade their dumb bombs. They take regular dumb bombs and they slap a package on them that allows the dumb bombs to be glided into a location, to a target. And so I think it's possible they got some kind of upgrade package from the Chinese. Maybe they've been building their own. Um, it also seems that maybe the Ukrainians are running low on anti-aircraft weapons. That might be what's happening. So the war is really getting intense right now. The Ukrainians, for their part, are staying focused. They're saying they'll be inside Crimea by this spring. Uh, and the Russians are clearly scrambling to take over these urban areas so they can entrench and brace themselves before the Ukrainians start their offensive. So the war is about to go into turbo mode. I'm unable to predict what the outcome will be for this summer. Uh, I had previously predicted World War II type stalemate. Sorry, World War I type stalemate. And uh, I think that held mostly true. But I think we're entering a phase of the war where I no longer have any ability to predict what's happening. It's going to be 80,000 fresh Ukrainians with the best Western equi equipment against 300,000 Russians equipped with whatever they could scrounge up from the old Soviet warehouses, plus the Russian air forces in the mix. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen here. Um, if My concern, if the Ukrainians do break through the Russian front lines, we may see an unconventional response from the Russians. They may begin blowing up our satellites, as they do have a variety of anti-satellite weapons that they have actually tested. We know to work. I could see the Russians accidentally triggering a cascade where they wipe out large swaths of the satellites in orbit. Obviously, the big fear is nuclear weapons, which I also think is very possible, although unlikely. So uh, all I can say is stay out of eastern and southern Ukraine for the next few months. Here's another story, perhaps more terrifying. Um, billionaire playboy and CEO of Twitter, Elon Musk, he is calling for a halt to AI research and warning that artificial general intelligence, AGI, could destroy the world. He said, quote, AI is more dangerous than, say, mismanaged aircraft design or production maintenance or bad car production in the sense that it it has the potential, however small one may regard that probability, but it is non-trivial. It has the potential of civilization destruction, end quote. This during his Monday interview on Tucker Carlson Tonight. Pressed to give some specific examples, Musk indicated that AI could be used to manipulate election outcomes. And he said, quote, even if you say that AI doesn't have agency, well, it's very likely that people will use the AI as a tool in elections. And then you know if AI is smart enough, are they using the tool or is the tool using them? So I think things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast. It also sounds a little bit like a Yakov Smirnov joke, right? In Soviet Russia, AI uses you. Um, in the same interview, Musk revealed his own plans to get involved in AI research, saying he's developing an AI called Truth GTP, which he says is, quote, a maximum truth-seeking AI that tries to understand the nature of the universe, end quote. According to Musk, 
an AI that has an interest in comprehending humanity is less likely to destroy it. He also expressed his concern that ChatGPT might be programmed to be overly cautious in its responses in order to avoid political incorrectness. And he told Carlson that basically GPT is being trained to lie. So in order to avoid being politically incorrect, it's learning to lie, which he says is exactly what you don't want to teach the AI to do. That's an interesting argument there. That's an interesting argument. But I kind of, so he's like, oh no, it might destroy the world. And so I'm building a right wing. I'm building a right wing AI to counter the left wing AI. Um, that sounds like he's participating in the very process that will destroy the world rather than putting a halt to it. And I've mentioned this before, but don't you recall when Elon Musk used to build spaceships and electric cars and tunnel digging equipment? Now, I know those companies still exist, but it sure seems that between Musk's involvement with Twitter and his obsession with AI, he is a prime example of this introspective turn in world technological advancement that instead of building things that solve concrete problems, we are becoming more and more preoccupied with computational manipulation, right? I see all of Silicon Valley as sort of like a weird cul-de-sac in uh, the tech advancement for the human race. So there are real problems that we're supposed to encounter in the future. Various environmental threats from climate change to um, super flares coming out of the sun to super volcanoes, incoming asteroids. At some point, we'll probably encounter aliens for real, right? The more people with engineering skills and ability get sucked into doing pure computational work and sort of building AIs or building, you know, the metaverse. I feel like the, the less we are advancing down the tech tree that gets us to a place where we're actually able to defend ourselves from concrete real world threats. So my concern is that the singularity may in some sense already be here. Now, futurist Ray Kurzweil envisioned the singularity as this hypothetical point in time where AI was so advanced it could make new tools more easily than humans and thus subsequently rendered not only human activity obsolete, sorry, human, human economic activity obsolete, but actually renders human science obsolete. But I am thinking of the singularity as more a point where AI and the internet suck all the oxygen out of the room, right? And everybody is just obsessing about pure computational technologies instead of the engineering technologies we need to solve real problems in the real world. And by the real world, I also mean space because our planet exists in space. 99% of the stuff in our universe is in outer space and you can't get there without a lot of engineering. And no amount of computer stuff gets you out there, right? It's just more symbols being manipulated. And so um, the singularity may already be here. Maybe it's Twitter or the internet more generally, sucking people like Elon Musk into it, distracting them from other issues, causing them to spend more and more time tweeting and less and less time actually fixing things. So those are the top three weird news items for the past three weeks. The Pentagon continues to explore UFOs. The Russo-Ukrainian war has increased potential to go nuclear, 
over the next few months. And Elon Musk has terrible ADHD and cannot remain focused on any one project for more than about 18 months. So what will happen to the human race? Maybe the Russians will use nuclear weapons on Elon Musk's Truth GPT only to be thwarted by benevolent alien orbs. We can only but hope so. Until next time, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.